0: Over the last five years, I've led dozens of masterclasses and trainings on a wide variety of topics. What I choose to teach is inspired by a combination of what I'm passionate about and what questions I get asked most frequently. Rather than these being one-time virtual sessions, I often share the recordings long after the program ends. I've gathered my most often requested masterclasses and trainings, and I've shared them on Podia, an online course platform. The following four masterclass replays are available for free. Should I host a podcast? Discovering your ideal client. Making the most of your next conference experience. And should I write a book? These additional resources are available for a fee. My book launch strategies masterclass. Idea to offer workshop. Low tech solutions for highly engaging zoom training. Getting set up for success on zoom training and over 70 Zoom tutorial videos. All nine resources are included with your membership in the Content and Connection Club. You pay just $25 a month. You also get invited to a weekly mastermind every Friday at 5 p.m. Eastern and an online discussion board. Plus, half the proceeds are donated to Feeding America. You'll find all of these resources and an invitation to join the Content and Connection Club at content and connectionclub.com look for the free masterclasses link at the top of the page right after this break we'll dive into this week's interview
1: you may know you're listening to this show along the marketing podcast network but did you know there are other great shows on mpn to help your business christy heiler hosts a fantastic podcast called own it christy
0: She knows work is changing, but the beliefs still hold true. People want to do work that matters. For over 20 years, she has worked with organizations and executives who want to make a positive difference in the lives of those they lead and serve. She's the founder of Work Matters Incorporated, a leadership expert, author, speaker, and trailblazer in her field who helps CEOs and executives shape corporate culture and inspire change. Executives turn to her when they want to explore reinvention as a means to grow their organization in a fast changing environment. She's the author of the award winning book, Take the Bull by the Horns, and the creator of the Leadership Journal. Her podcast, CEO on the Go, is designed to inspire leaders who like to learn on the go. Please join me in welcoming Gail Lance. Welcome, Gail.
1: Thank you, Robbie. Good to be here.
0: Thanks for joining us from your office in Birmingham, Alabama, Third Yes, that you're here. You and I have been crossing paths a lot the last few years, but uh, I have a feeling like I might learn a thing or two today. This show is about building strong networks and the context, as I mentioned, is leadership. So tell me, how do you define leadership and when did you realize you had the skills to lead?
1: Hmm. Well, I don't know that I have a real formal definition of leadership, The way that I look at it is that it is a way in which you can bring out the best in other people to achieve something really important. So it might be a big vision, a goal, a specific outcome, but the key is really being able to bring out the best in others to achieve it.
0: I like that. It's it's simple, but it feels like it rings true. If we meet that like best in people to do something important consistently, then that is, I mean, to me, it seems like a clear sign of leadership. When did you start to realize you had some of these skill sets?
1: You know, I was reflecting on that question, and it was hard for me because I don't really think I realized it for a very long time. I was just doing my thing. I tend Mm -hmm. to see things differently. Uh, I'll take on a challenge, uh, question the status quo. And I remember being in a meeting that was with uh, an all-male group of executives that I was leading. And at the very end, one of them came up to me and he said, you know, you really think differently, <laughs> and I thought I took that as a as a compliment because it's one of the reasons I think I was brought into their group to help challenge that. But I that's one of the one of the times that it dawned on me, kind of like I'm owning this as a leader now. Like this is something that I have. Otherwise, it's just something uh, that seems to be very natural to me. People have always said you're so driven. You 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 know you want you have all these goals, and I'm I'm thinking, well, that's just because. I like that. Like I enjoy that. That's what makes my life interesting. But in retrospect, I guess you could consider that leadership.
0: Mm -hmm. I'm actually kind of curious. This is, I want to go back a little ways to like Gal on the playground. Gal, Gal, getting you know, who who were you amongst your peers at a young age? Like, were you was that driven sense of wanting to get things done? Were you organizing your friends, or were you sort of standing back? Were you running for a school office, like? What, yeah. what kind of life did you lead in those early years?
1: Yeah, um it was, I think I, I love sports being you know uh, athletics and uh, being involved in all kinds of sports. to me, it was just fun, but it was also a challenge because I had to get better. I had to overcome a lot of my fears in the process. Uh, I experimented at being involved in a lot of different activities. Hmm. Um, springboard diving comes to mind. That's one that I bring up. Uh, every now and then to talk about the fear of getting to that next level, right? Getting to the next higher board and making yourself do crazy things. So, I think that I just started out really enjoying sports, but I was really, really quiet too. So, quite an observer, um, looking around, observing other people, being very self-conscious. And so, it was a weird dynamic of feeling strong in some ways and taking on challenges, but at the same time having this kind of fear in the background. Hard to describe. It's taken me a long time to come out of my shell and even like be speaking to you today on a podcast, even though I have my own. It's that's a huge, huge accomplishment over the years.
0: It was it about being visible back then?
1: I don't really know. You know, my my mom always made me like play the piano in front of people and perform. I think there was some pressure I always felt. I'm not blaming my mom necessarily, but I'm just saying I've always felt like I've been in situations where I've I've become more visible, whether I like it or not, and I've had to deal with it. So maybe deep down, that is something that's been mm-hmm. um, something I've had to overcome. Yeah.
0: Did adults in your life see potential in you? Were you sort of given opportunities to step forward? Like you said, like people were propelling you forward in, in different ways. Um, like when you were getting to high school, were, mm-hmm. were you being sought out to take on different tasks or projects?
1: Um, I think so. I just always stepped up to the challenge. I tried out for things. Um, I don't, I, I think it was really the, the confidence from that, I think, came from being involved in sports. But I don't really know, I don't remember being sought out as much as, me. again, me being interested and saying, oh, I think I'd like to do that. I'd like to try out for this or that, so I think I'll do it. And then when I liked it and um, was able to excel in it, that's when I was in leadership roles within those kinds of groups.
0: It's really, it's interesting, this uh, sort of paradox of you being kind of shy and reserved and yet Mm -hmm. willing to step forward and and try something out, right? And have mm -hmm. that confidence. Mm -hmm. And I'm hearing the influence that sports had on you. And also you started to allude that when you did get involved in these other groups, whatever they were, that you ended up taking on some leadership role within it. What Mm -hmm. was that like?
1: At the time I just stepped into it. I don't know that it was necessarily something that I was trying to get myself into. It (laughs) just seemed to be, that's what I mean. Like to me, it just seemed to be kind of a natural evolution and I would just do whatever it took to make it happen
0: it was sort of like you had the skill sets and you weren't going to wait around for other people to figure it out.
1: Yeah. But I've never, like I've never in my mind, never been power hungry. Like, Oh, I really want to be the, you know, the tier, top cheerleader or head cheerleader or whatever, or on the dance team or whatever. I just was curious. And I think that's a lot of what has propelled me uh, as far as I've gone is, is just being curious and the willingness to explore something that I've never done, which I still do even today.
0: Yeah, no, I mean, that's a great, th- that, um, uh, Developing a curiosity and a willingness to try things is is a great asset um, that a lot of people I think shy away from at young ages in particular, and mm-hmm. that you develop that you have a lot more muscle memory around like trying it. And and what happens is you realize you you, you didn't actually die, you know, like, yeah. <laughs> as scary as it was, you're still here. And so every yeah. time you do it, it gets a little easier. And you just it found like you had a lot of opportunities early on, or you sought out or said yes to maybe, yeah it was more that you said yes more than anything. Um, at 12 years old, Gal, what did you think you were going to be when you grew up? What was the, what was the sort of career trajectory? Was college a definite thing or were you heading into the workforce? Is there a family business of some kind?
1: Um, yeah, I really didn't have any idea. I, I think I knew I was going to college, but I thought Everything from being an organist (laughs) to other crazy, um, for me, not that that's a bad career, but like so far from where I am now, um, I love music so much. I really didn't know. I remember struggling in college. I, I requested to meet with the dean because I felt so lost that I couldn't figure out even what I wanted to major in. I ended up majoring in psychology, but it was, I just felt like I did not know and, and and that was a really uncomfortable feeling for me. It was yeah, a really difficult time.
0: That sounds really hard. And like, particularly if it seems like other people, your peers and your family, like all seem like they have very clear roadmaps ahead of them. Of course, most of them didn't, but they were putting it out there like they did. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but you were feeling that that feeling of being a little afloat or you know a drift in in a in a sea
1: yeah yeah my dad worked for a utility the telephone company for like 35 years very traditional yeah. long term career um, my mom is a stay at home mom so i i came from a background where you know the the models that i had at least for women working were few yeah. so
0: so you didn't have that many things to really even project yourself into that future with that vision in mind, like you had to make it up as you went. Um, what propelled you to go to college? Was that just like a given in your family or?
1: Um, yeah, it was education has always been important. Um, my mom was actually the first in her family to go to college. Mm. Um, my dad uh, was, uh, really smart, um, went to MIT Sloan fellow, always shared like his learnings with me. And so I think for me, I don't remember having any conversation about not going. It was, it was where.
0: Where'd you go to college?
1: Emory University in Atlanta.
0: Mm-hmm. And so you went in undeclared. It sounds like you were feeling a little bit adrift. You ended up in psychology. What drew you to that major?
1: I think just wanting to understand people. Uh, I've, and it was the most, uh, compared to all the other options, which were not as interesting. I thought that that might be something interesting for me to, to pursue. Yeah. And, I've, and I've, I'm glad that I did. I still don't know that a lot of what I've learned over the years applies directly to my degree as much as my life experience, Um, but I think in the retrospect, it was a pretty good fit for me.
0: Yeah, and did it lend itself, like right after college, to a career path, or did you still have to figure out where you were going to land?
1: If I had stayed in the field of mental health, yes. When I was uh, working as a crisis intervention counselor. Working uh, at the there was a, a mental hospital down the street from Emory at the time where I had worked part-time and it and thought about pursuing a career Doing that kind of work. I love that work uh, and I'm still involved in a crisis kind of involvement today in a volunteer capacity, but um, I realized early on at least uh, With where I was I couldn't make a living doing that and I needed to make a shift into the business world and started pursuing some options there. Felt equally lost. It reminded me of when I was trying to figure out my major. And then after I graduated, it was a life changing experience for me to, to have such a long period of time again trying to figure out what it was that I wanted to do. And I read a book called What Color is Your Parachute by Richard Bowles, which is a classic. Uh, That later became uh, a really important part of my growth and development when I left the corporate world um, to to become trained in that, which was a book I'd read in college about how to figure out what you want to do with your life and work. So it all kind of came full circle. Yeah.
0: Thank you for bringing that book up because it's a great resource for people who are feeling like a little bit lost as to where where to go next and don't have a good catalog of what their skills and assets are and where that might take them. So that's, that's a great reference. We'll put that link uh, to that book in the show notes.
1: Yeah, folks. it's a classic. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It's been a long time since I've heard someone bring it up though. So. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I also uh, was thinking about a book. Uh, I don't know. Maybe I was around 30 when I heard about this book. But someone wrote a book called Quarter Life Crisis. This was 20 years ago, I think, and I heard about this book. And it was this idea that people at 25 years old, 20 years ago, uh, still to today, like have so many more opportunities than mm-hmm. the generation before them which was like, get a job, stay in the job, right. Like, like that was it, you know, family, yeah. family had a business. You did that, you know, everyone was a lawyer in your family. We you became a lawyer. Like, so, um, the pace at which new things are coming up now, it's becoming even harder. How did you figure out where to take your psychology degree and your mental health sort of, I mean, I feel like you're passionate about the topic, mm-hmm. right? That's passionate around the mission. How did you figure out where to take all of that and place it in a box called corporate?
1: Um, I, it it kind of evolved. It's, it, I don't know that I like had it all figured out as a plan. When I first started my business, I was doing career coaching based on a lot of the model and frameworks that I'd learned through what colors your parachute and was working with people to figure out what they wanted to do. Um, and then I realized to me that the, the greater opportunity to make even a bigger impact, instead of like helping people escape from their jobs and figuring out how to get out, I could figure out a way to help them stay and thrive by working with leaders who are so instrumental in helping them grow and develop. So I I was doing similar work, but helping leaders become more equipped at helping people navigate their careers and figuring out what lights them up and how they can be engaged in the workforce. So again, it wasn't a plan as much as just kind of getting to a little turning point and realizing, I don't know that this is working in the way that it, it did. And I'm interested in exploring something else. I also, you know, leveraging my corporate background, it made sense to focus more on the corporate background as opposed to just working strictly with individuals. I felt like I was limiting myself by not leveraging my corporate
0: experience. What, what was your corporate experience between the time you were doing like the, the mental health field and becoming an entrepreneur? What was
1: um, kind of I worked for a, a very large um, insurance and financial services company um, called TIAA. It's one of the largest in the industries and uh, managed a team of financial consultants in the Southeast area. It's uh, It was headquartered in New York. Uh, the company was, I did a, a lot of traveling, um, became a, a million mile or frequent flyer before I turned 30. It was just a lot of, and, and at that time I thought, oh, this is normal. This is just what people do in their work until I realized this, is, this does not necessarily have to be normal. And so again, needed to make some lifestyle changes. And that's when I ultimately made the decision to, to start my own business. And that's when the career coaching started, which eventually has morphed into working with organizations as a whole and with CEOs and senior executives.
0: Were you partnered at the time that you decided to go into entrepreneurship? I was
1: in an executive level, very at a very young age. Wow. People thought I was crazy because on the outside, it looked really glamorous and, um, yeah, very, it was a, a lucrative position and one in which I felt like I was not aligned with anymore. I was talking about how, um, <laughs> you know, how to balance portfolios, pension plans, uh, stocks and bonds and investments, wh- which, which there's nothing wrong with that. But I wanted to understand how are people making decisions? what What's most important to them? What are they really planning for? I was so much more curious about the people issue, which was really, I think, also rooted in my own discovery process, knowing that I wanted to make a shift. So I studied how do people go through transition? How do they make difficult decisions? Um, What new career paths are possible? How can people overcome fear? This overcoming fear thing, which is really, that's the main thing that blocks, I think, almost anyone from making decisions. It's not external things. It's the internal stuff going on in our minds. So th- I started studying a lot of that just on my own to understand it better. And now I integrate a lot of that in, in the work that I do with other people.
0: I mean, it sounds like people are such a through line. Your curiosity around people is such a through line of, of yeah. like how you decided to choose your, your undergrad major. Um, what drew you even when you, you know, doing the mental health work is around people. And yes. then how what was sort of missing, and what you were seeking in the corporate space, and what got you excited about that, yeah, and um, and it makes sense that you wanted to explore that. But then going from, I, I mean, it, at least it, there's the illusion of the safety and security and stability of a of a nine to five career job. Paychecks and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I say illusion because of all the mergers, acquisitions. It is true. Layoffs. Yes, <laughs> um, it's not actually as safe as we had once thought. But um, but how did you make that shift? Did you know entrepreneurs at that time? Like what no. led you to think to start doing this career stuff when you had a you'd had a? <laughs> I mean, career, I mean, career coaching when you'd had a job, yeah, <laughs> and a career like you said, a good one.
1: Honestly, Robbie and I will admit this on camera, I did not think of it as a business when I started it. I just wanted to help people and I was on a mission. Uh, I was actually becoming the person that I most needed to have when I was in corporate, somebody to help me think through things, somebody objective, you know, a good thought partner. Um, And so I didn't think of it as a business until I really started moving away from doing pure career coaching to contracting with organizations and understanding this is a business, and yeah. I need to be thinking more about how to create value and about the specific problems that they have. And it was interesting to see how similar they are to what individuals struggle with. You know, we're all systems, yeah, in some way.
0: Did so, you start that as a side hustle while you were still employed? Or I did.
1: Yeah, well, I started learning assessments when I was in the corporate world, thinking well, I'm going to need some tools to help people. So I, you know, looked at Myers Briggs and became uh qualified in that and some others and so I did start that on the side just again out of my interest and curiosity to see what it was about and then just following the breadcrumbs like I want to do more of this.
0: I mean that makes sense though that you weren't thinking of it as a business because it was a side hustle hobby and you know you made a little money but you're helping people it felt good. I mean yep. for a while like it wasn't about the money it was just It's about the passion, and you were learning, and yes, people started to appreciate. You started paying you, and you know, yes. um, The best advice I've gotten on that came from Dory Clark, and she said, uh, "You'll know it's time to leave your day job when it gets in the way of your business." Yeah. And so, at what point did you realize? Like, did you did you make this shift to working with corporate um, really quickly? Did you make that only after you left your own day job? Like, when did it start to become, like you said, a business and a little more of a B two B business?
1: Um, I think it was a few years after I'd gotten my feet wet, working strictly with individuals. And, yeah. that, and the way in which I was working at that time, doing purely one-on-ones, was not, like I said, it was not going to work for me in the long run. So, I think it was at that time when I started uh, doing informational interviews with companies. And I would say, I'm thinking about uh, starting this service or... Uh, putting, you know, working with companies in this way to help their employees really take charge of their careers, and to be more proactive and to m- not be dependent on leaders to always be, you know, creating an opening where they can be uh, much more engaged in the process. And this was years ago. And at the time, I met with some companies that would say, "That's great, Gail. I think you're a little ahead of the curve." But then I realized there are other companies that were already you know, of that kind of mindset and seeing it. So I've, I've always tried to just gravitate toward organizations that I think are a little more leading edge and want to be as opposed to trying to convince those who aren't there yet because they're not ready for me. So
0: what year is that, that you start to really get into this?
1: I would say it was in the mid 2000s when I started kind of moving away from career coaching. Some people still perceive me that way, you know, first impressions matter. Even today, some people say, Oh, do you think you can help my son? He's just out of college, you know, figure out what he wants to do. Um, so even today, some people still perceive me as a career coach when I'm, I'm really so far beyond that. And in, in terms of where the business is today, but that's yeah. okay.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, it is true. Like uh, sometimes they haven't stayed current with what you're doing. Yeah. So at, as you were trying to build this all out, how did you find the network to support you? How did you fill in the gaps between what you knew and what you didn't know or didn't even know to ask about? I mean, the content was something I think you were pretty good at developing, but there's so much more to running a business than that.
1: Yeah, it, I, um, I love learning. And so I would actively seek out people or groups. Like when I moved back to Alabama, I joined a women's business Uh, organization. So, that provided some networking and women who were already in business, which I needed more exposure to. Um, And then also in my field in uh, leadership development, organizational development, management consulting, I would attend conferences uh, back in the day when we did so much more in person. Um, And so, I met other great people who are now my colleagues who are in similar businesses or uh, who have similar uh, business models. So I'm such an advocate of just go where you need to learn. That's how we met. You know, I said I think I need to learn more about Zoom and and how how to leverage that during the pandemic. And you had this wonderful group that I turned into so tuned into, and still have friends from that. So I think it happens organically when you don't put pressure on yourself. I hate 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 having to go out and socialize and go to some of the um, you know, networking events. I don't think, honestly, that that's the best approach. I so rather be among other people who have a shared interest and in wanting to learn something or similar goals. To me, over time, that's been by far the most effective approach.
0: Yeah, that's amazing. I mean, it sounds like you're also willing to put yourself out there. Like you both have like a reticence about like those just so big networking events, but you're willing to put yourself at a conference that had a focus on learning a specific topic because you knew it would attract the people that you would want to meet anyway. And you'd be meeting each other through the process of learning together. Is that
1: Yeah. That? Yeah. I mean, Toastmasters is another great example. Oh, yeah. I have a lot of friends that are struggling with you know public speaking. And I was in Toastmasters for years before National Speakers Association, where I know you and I are also colleagues. But that just wherever you can go to small, for me, small groups, because I, I tend to be more introverted and I really like that dynamic. And I think you can connect better that way. So, wherever you can find kind of small clusters of people that want to learn and grow together, the more power you'll have. And it'll build your confidence, too. I'm still continuing to work on on speaking, too, as you know a skill set and value creation for my clients.
0: Do you create like a learning plan each year? Like how do you decide <laughs> you're going to focus on?
1: Uh, yeah. People who know me well know I'm not a planner.
0: I, was curious. Uh,
1: yeah. I, I take inspired action. And so I will give some thought to some overall themes or big goals. I don't necessarily uh, have a, a very well structured plan. It's more of a general framework of here are the key things I want to learn this year.
0: Do you ever think about there are certain kinds of people that you want to have in your life, not just learning, but like, have you sought out people who have sort of either complimentary or um, certain kinds of either skill sets or styles of business or something like you're like, oh, where do those people hang out? Like, how do you approach that?
1: Yeah. Again, some of that happens organically, but I like to be around people who are growth minded. Uh, who like to learn, which is why I find them at a lot of these workshops and educational events. Most recently, I've really enjoyed being part of a group that attracts people who want to learn more about reinvention, how organizations and and even individuals can reinvent themselves. So there's a, a great uh, you know global network of people that I've been connected to through uh, one of the the podcast guests that I've even had recently on the topic. So, that's every iteration of who I am or where my business is, I think, makes me think differently about who I need to be around and also who I need to kind of disassociate with, too, at the same time, which I think is part of the growth growth yeah. process.
0: As you were settling into this, this particular iteration of having a business where you're working with companies, you said some are on the leading edge and they're willing to like do these things or ready to take them on. Do you find that certain industries were more open to that and has it expanded since then? Do you feel like it's the work that you're doing around like human centered work and making work matter and all like human leadership and all? It feels like it's a lot more popular now than it had been.
1: It is. Yeah. I think some industries are more receptive. Um, You know, it's interesting. I see the tech. Industry, for example, becoming more people focused, you know, or understanding the need to develop leadership, uh, where there's a, a strong emphasis on how, how to understand uh, and influence people. Um, yeah, but other than that, it really depends on the, the leaders at the top and the culture of the organization. So there's some organizations that are still kind of stuck in the past, old school model, um, like I said, they're not the ones that I'm even trying to convince at this point uh, that they need to be looking ahead and becoming more modernized. Uh, but I think a lot of the small and mid-sized companies that are more nimble anyway are more receptive to some of the ideas and, and thinking that I bring.
0: How did you find those first few clients before you had traction in that space?
1: Word of mouth, just talking to to people that I knew, telling them, "Hey, I'm," you know. I didn't. I, when I remember when I started, I didn't call it a business. I said, "Hey, I'm going to look for people I can help who are struggling, trying to figure out what they want to do." So it's being very uh, straightforward in terms of who you're trying to reach and the problem that you're wanting to help them with, and not worrying about the rest of it. Um, I also did some speaking, uh, at, and just you know, speaking in some local civic groups on topics that I cared about that I thought would be helpful. Uh
0: and that's so that's really another more,
1: great marketing, you know, opportunity.
0: That sounds like it was geared more towards the um the first iteration of your business, right, when you were helping people do more career coaching. Yeah. And then you mentioned earlier you did informational interviews with companies. Yes. yes. How did you figure out which companies to reach out to? Was that connected through your network? Like I mean, how did yeah, you Yeah. Yeah.
1: Um yeah, the it was through world. networking. Yeah, it is. So, um yeah, and relationships are key. If I could get a warm connection through someone and, and I'd say, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about, um, you know, wanting to contact this company, ABC company, who do you know? And they'd say, well, I know head of HR here, or you should really talk to so and so. So again, you follow those breadcrumbs where people will actually guide you. The problem I had is that I really, um, as much as I know that I should, and even still today, I don't necessarily say, I want to work with this company. I'm so. People focused, it's like, show me a leader that wants to help their team go through change. Show me a leader who's open to new ideas where they don't think that they've got it all figured out or they're not going to argue for what they've always done. So to me, I'm almost agnostic about the industry or even size or type of business. It's so much more oriented around leaders. So when I'm communicating with my market, that's who I'm talking about. Do you know somebody that's in the midst of change or that's really struggling? with their team, where they really feel like they're, um, you know, losing ground or losing their competitive edge, or they just want to make sure that they're ahead of the curve. And people can tell me who those leaders are. That's the way I do it. But I'm, I'm, you know, there are other people that target companies, which is great, too. I've just never been successful at saying I want to go do work at this particular company.
0: When I was setting up for your interview, I was surprised how much you had created on Amazon, like book, Workbook, journals, and stuff. And yeah, I, I don't think I knew. Uh,
1: how- <laughs> I forget to promote it, Robbie. Yeah, because yeah. I'm on to the next thing. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So, what led you to start down that path of creating that kind of content, particularly a substantial thing like a book, or you know, it just how to, how did that help you sort of set yourself up for success in your career?
1: Um, in your at business? one point, I was told or thought I have to have a book to have credibility. But on another level, I considered myself uh, someone who had some good good ideas. That needed to be shared. So, um, what, the, how I created my first book was actually taking uh, old content that I had created in a, in the form of a newsletter, and kind of pieced together a lot of the content that was called "Take the Bull by the Horns." Um, and I joke that my next book is going to be called Stop Taking the Bull, the Bull by the Horns. Like you don't have to, to work so hard and knock yourself out. Like it, it can be easier. So that's how I created the first one is just really taking pieces of content that I already developed, like a big puzzle and tried to put that together. And then some of the other one, like I do have one out there on life work planning that I created uh, this workbook or a very, very um, slim book for retreats that I began doing. To help at the time, I was working more with women executives that were trying to figure out what they wanted to do going forward. And so the life work planning workbook was created as a supplement to that retreat. And I thought, why not put it on Amazon in case it can help somebody else. So that's the kind of stuff that I do. And the leadership journal too. starts out as, oh, I think this can help my clients. But it's got to be easy and simple. They don't have a lot of time. So the leadership journal was another tool that I created for my clients that, um, you know, Amazon was almost an afterthought.
0: Mm-hmm. It I'm, makes I'm, sense. I,
1: I make, I, but now I think Amazon, that, there's huge opportunity to create more, yeah, more value that way.
0: Yeah. You can do some bundles. And I mean, it sounds like your stuff is all out there.
1: I just don't promote it. So yeah. thank you for mentioning that.
0: Yeah. I was like, oh, wow. Oh, wow. <laughs> like, look at all that stuff. We'll have all the links in the show notes, folks. Yeah. So if you want to yeah. dive into any of the the books or, or journals that um, you just mentioned. Um, you you have a tremendous network. You're curious. You enjoy people. You seek out people who have similar interests that are abundant minded and like growth growth mindset. How do you think about the staying connected? Like you know you're going to stay connected with the inner circle of people, right? But that second and third tier or layer out the people you might see once a year at a conference or. You work with them five years ago, but you haven't had cause to work with them since. Mm-hmm. You like each other. should start with that. You enjoy each other's company. How do you think about nurturing and sustaining those kinds of weaker ties? Any habits, philosophies, practices?
1: Um, it's something that I don't do well, honestly. So, I, And I've thought about some practices that I could probably implement. So that's a gap with where I am. The... One of the ways I'm reconnecting is through my podcast, bringing them on as guests or reaching out or just making them aware <laughs> that I, I have a podcast now. So uh, it's a light touch. But also, I just think one of the best things to do, and this this is so simple, it sounds silly, but I'm guessing you might agree. Like Put a date on your calendar to reach out like on a Friday to somebody that you haven't talked to in a while and just pick up the phone and say, hey, how are you doing? And not have any agenda. It, it really accepts to just see how they're doing and remind them that they're an important person in your life. Like it does not have to be hard. Um, like I said, I'm not overly structured. So I I tend to resist ideas where I've got to be like checking a box every day. So, um, but that's probably something that I would need to do. I don't
0: know all your Myers-Briggs, but you're very much a P aren't you? Oh
1: yeah. Yeah.
0: Oh yeah. Okay.
1: And proud of of it. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) people are always like, well, we can help you get more organized. I'm like, no, I'm, I'm no, okay with good. it.
0: You're good with it. You know, Yeah. So that's funny. I'm very clearly a J. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah. That's why I can tell you're like, Oh, I've got this system for this and I've got this process, which is great. Everybody's different, but
0: yeah, that's, that's kind of the thing about being <clears throat> human. Um, do you ever host things? Like you talk about hosting retreats, Do you host dinners or salons or discussions. What led to the retreats? Like, I mean, that's another way to bring people together. And it yeah. like you have some interesting people in your network.
1: Yeah. I love doing retreats and they've all started from a need that I've witnessed when I thought I had a, a, a strong enough uh, group that could come together. I've done some for executive women in my local area. Um, one of my favorites was a retreat that I started at... Uh, a, a a beautiful park here at a tree house, beautiful glass room where you can get people off site. Just, it could be half a day or a full day. You don't have to to make it hard. That's some of what I've done. I also experiment a lot. I brought some executives uh, together years ago called something called like Sunrise Executive something where I just invited a few people, maybe 15 or so in my community and we met for breakfast once a month and I would Put a topic on the table and get some discussion going so once again you can see the theme of experimentation and just noticing where the the common needs are and i've even did something for uh young people a young a few young people reached out to me after hearing me speak at an event one time and they were asking for help to figure out how they could do well in their work and what they need to think about in terms of leadership And I typically don't serve a market with people in their 20s, right, you know, right out of school that are new. But I said, hey, if you want to get a group of people together, I'll show up. So for a few sessions, uh, I branded it. uh, Oh, yeah, it was called Forge Ahead because we were holding in a building called Forge and had them invite people in their network, right, because it's got to be easy for me. Um, so we did a few sessions like that just for young professionals that wanted to learn more about leadership in an informal, uh, dialogue way. So I guess that answers your question.
0: Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, and as far as networking, do you do anything that's sort of not business focused in that front? I mean, it sounds like the 15 people for breakfast falls into that category of just yeah. gathering people around you because you he- think it'd be interesting.
1: Yeah. um, Personally, I mean, I just, I have my own personal interests, uh, you know, of of the activities that I'm involved in. so I have, you know, natural relationships that form there based on what I'm doing in my personal life. Uh, I also have, I may have mentioned I run executive peer groups, some of which I've been running. The longest one is running 20 years. Um, Small groups of executives who've become friends now, given that It's a really unique, yeah, it's hard to say, but it's true. Um, they're an amazing group and they've they've really clicked over the past few years and they they've become really good friends. So I just think things happen when you're not trying too hard to make them happen. If you can put yourself in an environment where you're learning, you feel like you're enjoying the experience, why not just keep figuring out what could be next and not trying to map out everything things are going to change so much anyway see i'm arguing again against having a this big old plan but if oh. you can get more fluid and just kind of be guided by where your energy naturally wants to go then good things will flow from that
0: so speaking of plans being disrupted what yeah. was uh the impact in your business when march 2020 happened
1: um that um that's when i launched my podcast. And so the impact, I think, could have been a lot worse had I not had a means to continue to to provide value, at least virtually that way. Um, So I think it, it had a temporary impact, but I also think it had an extremely positive impact on my business because it allowed me to stretch out of my comfort zone and create a body of work that makes what I do and what I deliver even more valuable. So, and I'm always the optimist. So even if it wasn't that good, I'm going to find a way to spin it and say, you know, it probably helped strengthen me and put me on a different track. To me, it opened up so much more possibility globally as well that I probably would not have vis- explored as seriously had it not been for that.
0: So did virtual programming become a, a core component over the last few years?
1: Um, yeah, the groups that I had been running, uh, the, the ones in person in my local area, we just met by Zoom yeah. And instead of meeting monthly, some were meeting every other week because they just needed that connection during that time.
0: Yeah, that's great. And that's how you and I kind of crossed paths because you, yeah. you were dabbling in the world of Zoom and no more yeah. beds.com. And yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. So uh, I know we're going to stay in touch because you and I seem to cross paths on a regular basis in a number of ways, Innovation yeah. Women being one of them, NSA's. Uh, uh, influence Conference is coming out. Coming so up. We're, mm-hmm. we're going to see each other actually in person, which is amazing. Um, so if we're talking a year from now, and I realize it's been a year since we had this interview, and I ask you, wow, hey, what's been going on? What, do, what are we celebrating these days? What are you going to be toasting a year from now? What are you most looking forward to?
1: Um, gosh, you're going to make me say it out loud, so it's got to happen, right? I'm, I'm finally going to finish my next book. Yeah. So that that would be good for me. Like I said, it's not. I I love the first book that I wrote. Sometimes you got to take the bull by the horns, but sometimes uh, you don't and they're easier way to do things. So I'm looking forward to getting that. So that would be a real big accomplishment if we would be talking a year from now and celebrating that I finally got that book out.
0: Yeah. I'm I'm really excited. I'm excited for the book. I'm excited for the launch of the book because you know I'm excited about launches.
1: Yes. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And I would have done, uh, that would have been my fourth year of my podcast. I know you're ahead of me on that, but I've done about 150 episodes of CEO on the go. So who knows yes, where I'll be, be? You'll be yeah. at
0: 200 or so by then. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. Congratulations on the longevity of, of a podcast. Anything past Thank 100 really is remarkable. It is. Uh, considering Anything past cute.
1: five. Are you kidding I know, me?
0: know. <laughs> no. Like just real stick-to-itiveness. Yeah, Um, that's awesome. So how can people find you and follow your work?
1: Oh, I would love for people to reach out to me. Um, LinkedIn is a great way. Um, That's about the only social media platform that I'm somewhat active on. Uh, Workmatters.com is my site. So um, and you can connect with me there at workmatters.com is probably the best thing.
0: Awesome. We're going to put all those links, including a link to your podcast in the show notes at ontheschmooze.com. Gail, thank you so much for this conversation.
1: Thanks for letting me be on this side for a change. I've really enjoyed it. I should do this more.
0: I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Gail. What is your key takeaway? Something you'll put into action this week that you'll benefit from for years to come. Share what resonated with you in the show notes at ontheschmooze.com. Look for episode 340. That's also where you'll find all the links and resources from today's show, as well as all the archived episodes. Reach out and let me know which were your favorite interviews. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with that one friend you know would love to hear it. Subscribe or follow for free so you don't miss next week's show. Are you a fan? That's awesome. I'd love to read your review. Thank you in advance and look forward to connecting again next week. We'll be interviewing another talent professional who achieve success in their field or industry. Ask probing questions to get them to share untold stories about their leadership journey and how they built and sustained their professional network. Until then, have an amazing week. Thanks for listening to On the Schmooze podcast at www.ontheschmooze.com. That's On the Schmooze, S-C-H-M-O-O-Z-E.